The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Just when we think we're starting to get a full picture of Twitter's censorship of conservatives, we find out those in power apparently will stop at nothing to suppress the truth. This is unbelievable. Late yesterday, journalist Matt Taibbi revealed that the number two lawyer at Twitter, the deputy general counsel, is the person who was vetting the so-called Twitter files without Elon Musk knowing. Now, why is that a problem? Because he's been there since 2020 and the time of the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story. He was neck deep in that decision. And now he is the one screening the documents that Elon Musk once released to journalist Matt Taibbi and journalist Barry Weiss. And this was not disclosed. And apparently Elon Musk didn't know it uh, until Taibbi and Barry Weiss were saying, hey, it's kind of slow going. We're not really getting uh, the documents that you wanted us to have. Can we dig a little deeper? And they asked, Barry Weiss asked, hey, who's who's in charge of the screening? And the answer was Jim, some no but name over at Twitter was like, it's Jim. She's like, what's Jim's last name? Jim Baker. That's the deputy general counsel. That's the guy who is neck deep in making the decision to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story to begin with. And this is a guy who is as slick as they come, as slick as they come. There is no accident. He put himself in charge of screening what the journalists would get and what they wouldn't get. And now his ass is fired. Rightfully so. Joining me now to discuss it, Jesse Kelly, host of The Jesse Kelly Show and the show I'm Right. Love that, Jesse. Welcome back to the program. Megan, it's an honor as always. And you nailed it with this guy. And obviously, you know about his background. James Baker has a really slimy background before he walked in the doors of Twitter. He was slimy at the FBI, which is a slightly bigger deal. And I'll tell you to what you were just talking about, what I consider to be a big deal in this and pretty revealing is Elon Musk didn't know. Now, Elon Musk is a lot of things. Stupid is not one of them, but it just goes to show how deep the rod is. Unless you, unless you have two hours a day to dedicate to the Megyn Kelly show, even if you're Elon Musk, you don't know. You could have asked me about James Baker six months ago. I would have told you that he's a piece of trash that should have been fired anyway. How does not Elon Musk know this? Because the rod is so deep, normal people don't realize it. 
Mm-hmm. Right. He's trying to save this company, which is in the midst of a crisis since he took it over. He's not going through the resumes of everybody in you know, the deputy general counsel position, for example, the Baker uh, role. I mean, just the fact, just take a step back. Let's talk about James Baker for a minute, because just the fact that Twitter hired him as deputy general counsel after he was forced out of the FBI tells us a lot about the coziness, the inappropriate coziness between these government agencies and our social media companies. Well, what we have, I call it the system, Megan. People call it different things. I call it the system. We have all these cultural pillars, you know, media and entertainment and politics and religion and all these things, education. Well, what's happened in this country is they've all been taken over by the same ideology now. And they all, instead of working as a check on one another, which ideally that's what you'd want, you know, if, if the media is losing its mind, Hollywood would call it out or something like that. They all now believe the same things about everything and they all just take care of each other. Uh, so it's why they don't care about Joe Biden's approval ratings. Everyone's saying that Joe Biden this, Joe Biden that. John, or, or say, what, what's her name? The, the Corinne lady, Corinne Diversity Hire. She doesn't care about Joe Biden's approval rating. She's going to walk <laughs> right out of the White House into a job at MSNBC or somewhere else. James Baker gets frankly disgraced at the fbi by the crap he pulled there he doesn't he doesn't take a step back and go on unemployment right to twitter he goes to be deputy general counsel they just they never fall down they seem to fall up into a different column that's right so this guy was the one neck deep in um that lawyer for the clinton campaign michael sussman going into the fbi and saying hey just you know not not here on behalf of hillary but i just want to let you know trump looks really dirty and might be having a back channel communication with this alpha bank that's russian and you know just for a friend i'm just saying you might want to look into it james baker there he was um dealing with the dossier the disgraced dossier andy mccarthy has a great piece up just getting into all the disgusting history of james baker uh smack dab in the middle of deliberations over suppressing the Biden laptop reporting, uh, among many other things. But when he was FBI general counsel back in 16 and 17, he was also a top advisor to Jim Comey and was behind all the the FISA applications and, you know, naming the Trump uh, operatives and so on. All the stuff that's been in the news for the past five, six years has basically got this guy's stamp on it. And where does he land? He lands at Twitter, where one of his first moves, apparently, in October 2020 was to suppress the reporting on Joe Biden's son. And now full circle, Elon Musk takes over Twitter and says, we're going to we're going to air it all out. I'm going to put it all out there. Twitter's been acting like an arm of the Democratic National Committee. That's what Elon Musk said. And unbeknownst to him, he says, okay, all right, I'm going to give it to my general counsel's office to review all the documents, and make sure Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi get all these documents. And then they try to pull a fast one by not telling the reporters who's actually doing the screening of the documents. And only because Barry was like, Jim, who? Why am I getting slow rolled when the CEO and the owner of this company has said, give me the documents? Who's Jim? Why is he dragging his feet? And the reveal comes. It's Jim Baker. And that's when Elon fired him. Yeah, it's incredible. It is amazing, Megan. And just, I, I have a little story, if you if you don't mind me telling it here for a yeah. second. A fascinating story a buddy of mine told me. It's one of these know a guy who know a guy things. Well, I know a guy who knows a guy who graduated with Barack Obama. And we're talking, you know, Harvard here. So when you're graduating Harvard, not that I will ever understand that's more your world than my idiot world. But no. when you're graduating I Harvard, went to Syracuse, you're thinking, babe. 
<laughs> well, when you're, when you're the type of person who could, I wouldn't be able to get through <laughs> class one. But if you graduate Harvard, what are you thinking? You're, well, I'm going to go take over this industry. I'm going to be a captain of this industry. I'm going to be, if you're a lawyer, hey, I'm going to go work at this prestigious law firm and bill somebody for $2,000 an hour. That, and, and they're having a discussion post-graduation with what they're going to do. And they're all doing that king of the world thing. And he asked Barack Obama what he was going to do. And Barack Obama told him clear back then, he told him, I'm going to go be a community organizer. And they all pointed at him and basically laughed at him to his face. What an idiot. What a loser all this time. And you're going to be a community organizer. But Barack Obama understood all these people, James Baker, all of them. They all understood that the most important thing is to become a gatekeeper, to find the choke points of everything and learn to control that choke point. And then you control everything. You don't have to take over everything if you're James Baker and you want to politic on behalf of the Democrats. You have to get to the right position at the FBI that will allow you to do that. And then when you leave that position, you don't have to take over all of Twitter. You actually saw in that reveal a lot of Twitter executives, when they suppressed the story, were saying, uh, I don't think we can do this. Is this OK? But it didn't matter because he found the choke point. The, the, the dirty ones always find the choke points. And that's what they do. They, they, they've done it all over the society. They're probably doing it in your hometown right now, whoever's watching. Well, that's the thing, because now we've seen how embarrassing the behavior was at Twitter. You know, I mean, they were like, suppress, suppress. This is it. Let's get it down. You got a couple of people who are like, I don't know. This kind of seems like maybe we shouldn't do it. And everybody was like, no, we're doing it. We're doing it. But there's a bigger story, of course, and that is why? Why did why were they so primed to be looking for hacking and disinformation campaigns? And no, it's not because of the Russians. It's because of the FBI, because the FBI had gone in there to Twitter, according to the Twitter executives, and said, get ready. We expect, same as they did at Facebook, we expect you may likely receive disinformation, Russian-born, about, in particular, Joe Biden and potentially Hunter Biden. And the reason that's so disgusting, right, because I understand there's no question the Russians did push out disinformation in the 2016 election. They did. That's that's been documented. But so you might say, OK, well, well, the FBI should be alerting people. We don't want the Russians messing with our elections. You know, win, win or lose. We don't want the Russians calling the shots. But the thing is, they did that with Twitter and Facebook and who knows what other social media companies when the FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop in its possession. They'd already been given the laptop by the legally blind computer repairman back in 2019. And these warnings were going out after that. They didn't bother to investigate it. It was easily ascertainable as legit. So either they didn't do it because they didn't care or they did do it. And then they chose to lie about it. Either way, it's a terrible look for the FBI. More than a terrible look, Megan, it's frightening. I mean, it's, it's not like an outrageous story. It's a frightening story when people consider the timeline that you just very clearly laid out. 2019, the FBI finds itself in possession of a, of a laptop with all kinds of criminal activity on it. And I'm not talking about doing some booger sugar with some European hookers. I mean, some really dark, dark things out there, it's dark things, and tying Joe Biden to these things. So the FBI has it in 2019. They suppress it. They basically sit on it like the laptop repair guy said they would sit on it. And after they sat on it, 
they they're wiretapping and doing who knows what else to Rudy Giuliani. So they find yes. out ahead of time that this story is going to get some legs and be, be released. They could do an all hands on deck with the social media companies and tell them preemptively before it comes out to suppress the story that's about to come out that they know to be true. You mentioned, did they know or didn't they know? Okay, so we either have an FBI that's incompetent or we have an FBI that is the Cheka. Either one of those things, neither are acceptable for an organization with the power to destroy anybody's life. Anyone in this country, if they set their sights on you, they can destroy your life and they will destroy your life. How do you justify that organization's continued existence if it's either A, that stupid, or B, what they really are, that corrupt? The thing is, you, so this to me, it doesn't excuse the Twitter executive's behavior, Mm. but it does soften it a little because as we saw in that interview that Yoel Roth gave to Kara Swisher, this is a very scared, weak man. I mean, this is a scared, weak man. You know, we were suffering trauma on January 6th when we were trying to decide what to suppress was trauma. You weren't there, brother. You were doing twi- Twitter suppression. OK, you were not on the Capitol. So take a seat. In any event, I'm going to I'm not giving him a pass, but I'm just saying now you, you take a soft, scared guy like that and you sit him down from the with the FBI and they say, yo, the Hunter Biden laptop story could be coming, essentially something like this, and be on the lookout. And it's Russian disinformation. That guy doesn't have the benefit of knowing anything that the FBI knows, which is, oh, wait, there really is a Hunter Biden laptop. And the FBI has reviewed it. And there's all this stuff on there that's verifiable. He's just been told by a scary man in a dark suit, be on the lookout. Oh, and by the way, I'm law enforcement. Like you could the, the implicit threat is you could be in trouble if you publish this. So, I mean, that's why we typically don't have the FBI running around speaking to organizations like this. You know what? That's another question Andy raises, which is since when do we sick the FBI on social media companies with the imprimatur of the Justice Department, you know, behind them, warning them what's going to happen if they don't suppress, if they don't censor? Uh, Well, you nailed a big part of this that people don't consider, Megan, is what it means to people, especially a guy like UL Roth. I mean, a guy with the testosterone levels of an eight-year-old girl when <laughs> the FBI knocks on his door and shows him an FBI badge, that guy probably soiled his granny panties right when they show that whole thing. That's the kind of guy, and that's what the FBI knows that they'll do. And when you have such a system in this country that has created this world of make-believe where, where uh, they're not Republicans, you know, they're Nazi white supremacists, a Jason to Hitler, January 6th, almost ended the country. I mean, this ridiculous over-the-top hyperbole that you've ingrained in these people's minds. And now you show up and say, we've got information on, on basically Hitler. They fall all over themselves and feel like they're the good guys when they're censoring. That's what, that's what blows me away all the time when you study these people and how much they censor and why they censor. They're always 100% convinced, Megan, that they're the good guy in the story. No, 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 no. It's, mm-hmm. it's for your own good that we kick this mm-hmm. doctor off of YouTube because he said something about COVID we didn't like. We're trying to protect you. They feel like they're the good guys. They, these commies always do. Well, that because that's the thing. If this if this FBI had been sitting down with with this Yoel Roth and said something's coming in on Donald Trump Jr. or, you know, we want you to be on the lookout for Russian disinformation uh, about the Trumps. I have to imagine Twitter might have felt differently. Twitter might have felt the way a traditional news organization would feel when getting bullied by the FBI, which is you can pound sand. 
You and I are in different businesses. I don't answer to you. You don't get to threaten me about my reporting unless, you know, in these highly unusual situations where there's a national security threat. If we go ahead and report, you know, the X about this particular spy or this, about, you know, those are very, very rare exceptions to where, you know, the general principle that journalists don't answer to the FBI. Um, and so Twitter, but Twitter went right down on the knee. They went right down on the knee. And so why did they do that? Because it was going to hurt. It was going to hurt Hunter Biden. It was a Biden. They didn't want to report the story. The FBI knew that the FBI didn't want them to report the story. So they got in the fetal position uh, in a way that I really did. There's no question they wouldn't have done had it been reporting on Donald Trump Jr. Well, you mentioned the national security threat thing, Megan. Isn't that what they've done? I mean, how many times Joe, Joe Biden gave that long speech, that dark speech about threat to democracy, the end of the republic, a threat to the very foundations of the republic over and over and over and over again. They campaigned on it, threat to democracy, threat to democracy. What are they doing? They're cementing in the minds of so many Americans that anyone who disagrees with them politically isn't just someone who disagrees with them politically. It's, of course, a national security threat. Now, why would they be trying to classify their political opponents as a national security threat? There's only one reason you would do that. You would do that So you could then justify in your mind and legally the use of state power against the person who's a national security threat. If I'm just a person who votes right or I'm a right winger, a Republican or whatever the case may be, well, you can't send the FBI to my door. But if I'm a national security threat threatening the foundations of the republic, well, what can't you do to me, Megan? If I become a domestic terrorist in your eyes, really anything you do is justified, right? That's what these people have done, and that's what they're doing. It's not some pendulum swing either. They're just getting bolder and bolder and bolder as they go along. Well, and the other thing uh, about Twitter is by 2020, when they were getting this warning, we understood the FBI had to be charitable, a very checkered past few years when it came to getting involved inappropriately in politics and misrepresenting facts that could be potentially harmful to Trump and helpful to his opponents. Right. And so, I mean, any normal sentient human being might have said, I'm going to have to put a big old asterisk on what the FBI is telling me. And I better run this down through a, a, a couple of different channels so I can make sure I'm not doing the wrong thing here. Right. There was We'd already been through an impeachment. We understood what they had done with the FISA courts, with the, all the bullshit, you know, with the Russia gate. And yet there was absolutely no skepticism by the folks on the Twitter receiving end. And, and then the final capper, you know, the person making the ultimate decisions over there happens to have, be, have come to Twitter from the FBI. I mean, it's just like a perfect well, storm. Well, that's the thing, Megan. I, I mean, I guess I'll push back on that a little bit is we think, you know, any normal pers- person looking at what the FBI had done would start questioning the FBI. But I think we have to acknowledge, I mean, th- how many people sit down? There are lots and lots of them. And they listen to the Megan Kelly show for two hours a day or watch it for two hours a day. That person doesn't understand how uniquely informed they are. They, they think, oh, it's just something mm-hmm. I do. I listen at work. I listen when I work out. No, you don't understand. You're in the one or two percent of the most informed people in the United States of America. Most people don't think of the FBI as the Democrats enforcement arm. When you tell people uh, you really can't trust the FDA anymore, they look at you like, "Okay, weirdo, take the tinfoil off your head. What are you talking Mm -hmm. about? It's hard to convince normal people, not people like you and me and your audience, 
It's hard to convince normal people that every traditional institution they have previously trusted has now been infiltrated and taken over and corrupted. And they're not biased. They're not left leaning. They're lying to your face at all times. If somebody wins a Pulitzer Prize, you should automatically assume instead of that being the best journalist, that's the biggest liar out there. That, that, that's, that's crazy to have to bring your normal thinking neighbor into that realm and wake him up and say, buddy, no, you don't understand. Elon Musk doesn't understand still. He, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, he was caught totally off guard by James Baker. Everyone who mm -hmm. listens to your show has known about James Baker for how long? Anyone who mm -hmm. listens to my show has known about him for two years. Elon Musk, richest guy in the world, his IQ is gigantic. No idea. Found out like yesterday. What? It's James his company. Baker? We don't understand how unique we are. Your, your, your listeners don't understand how unique they are to their credit, mm. but they don't. Yeah. Well, on that front, it reminded me of something mm. else that was in the news that I think you tweeted about. And that is, um, you know, you were saying you, you've got to be very skeptical of these people with these pedigrees. And, you know, like you get the, no longer is winning the Pulitzer a sign of your, you know, tenacious reporting. It's probably a sign of your fealty to an agenda based organization like the, this modern day journalism is completely leftist. And um, this brings me to Yale School of Medicine, which has decided um, to name its commencement speaker for the upcoming year as do you want to tell the, the people who they're having? Oh, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, the guy responsible. I mean, whatever people think about lockdowns, COVID or vaccines, it really, really doesn't matter at this point in time. We can argue about this all day long. Medically alone, the guy has done unending amounts of damage. And we know now from depositions he's had to give to Missouri's attorney general that he knew masks were stupid and ridiculous and didn't work. That's not me saying that. That's so in the deposition. We have the documentation. He's texting and emailing with friends. Uh, don't wear the mask. That's stupid. And then he's going on television and he's driving teenage anxiety through the roof. Teenage girl suicides up 51 percent. The medical harm this guy did, medical harm to this country is unending. And what does he get at the end of that? Does he get fired? put on trial, sued. No, 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 no. He's walking away from the government with a $400,000 a year pension and giving the commencement speech at one of the most prestigious universities in the United States of America. Right back to what we were just talking about, Megan. How do you convince your relatively normal neighbor who agrees with you on most everything but doesn't pay attention? How do you convince him that, no, 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 you should be more suspicious of someone who graduates from Yale as someone who went to my community college? That's a hard thing to wake someone up to realize. That's true. And and honestly, it's like it's the people for whom that is an impressive pedigree are not people for whom you want to work. I mean, like, yes, it will open doors. Will they be the right doors? I would su suggest no, not not anymore. Times have changed to your point uh, in that deposition of Dr. Fauci. Uh, here's the here's the exchange you were referencing. Question to Fauci. Do you recall writing this in response to a, a person who was about to travel out, Sylvia, on an airplane? Um, this is Dr. They're quoting Dr. Fauci's own email, quote, masks are really for infected people to prevent them from spreading infection to people who are not infected rather than protecting uninfected people from acquiring infection. The typical mask you buy in the drugstore is not really effective in keeping out virus, which is small enough to pass through material. It might, however, provide some slight benefit in keeping out gross droplets if someone coughs or sneezes on you. I do not recommend that you wear a mask, particularly since you're going to a low risk location. Do you recall writing that? 
I vaguely recall talking to her about certain safety issues regarding masks. That's that's as much as he would say. It's right there. It's right there. And you're right. So absolutely no accountability for anything Fauci did. All of the lies he told, the bad decisions he made, the funding of the gain of function research, which suddenly he doesn't remember in the deposition. I'm really not familiar with it. You're not you're not familiar. You're not familiar at this point. It may have caused a global pandemic. What was happening there? We'll never know, apparently, because we can't get real answers from the Chinese or from you. And you can still sit here and say, oh, I don't know. I'm not familiar. And now he's going to go be honored as the Yale commencement speaker for the future doctors of America. It's infuriating. It's infuriating. And it's honestly a little scary if you take it to this logical conclusion, Megan, because I I'm sure you have, I I don't even know how many sources you must have in the medical community between doctors and nurses and hospital administrators, but I know I have a bunch, so I'm sure you have about 10 times that many. And the things they tell me about the new crops coming out of, of, of college now, the new crop of doctors, nurses, it is not good, Megan. The things these people believe are really not good. And back to what we were just talking about, it's the most prestigious universities, Johns Hopkins, MIT, Yale, all these all these big shot universities that look so sexy on a resume. Wow, he must be the best. He's going to work for the best. What do you do if you live in a country where five years from now, you go sit down with a doctor you trust, you pay a fortune for? After all, he went to Yale. And that doctor thinks, oh, I don't know. I don't think you deserve the same level of treatment because you're white. Now, that may sound crazy. Go look at what's happening right now at the highest universities in this country and tell me what do we do when our medical institutions are completely corrupted, just like everything else. What if the medical community was as corrupt as the American media? That shock mm-hmm. you? It should shock you because that's where we're going and we're going there real fast. My God. I mean, just the fact that they would that they would honor him. I realize it's Yale. Yale's about as woke as they come. It's absolutely disgusting. This is why some judges now, some federal judges are saying, I won't hire from Yale. I'm not accepting clerks from Yale Law School. Thank goodness. Right. I mean, because I, look, I, I could I could argue the other way, like get them in there and try to get the brainwashing off of them. But who's got time? Who's got time? Right. It's like um, and maybe maybe they'll sign up for the Federalist Society if they think it can get in with this other judge. Well, they'll be exposed to other ideas besides their crazy woke leftist ones. But the point is, there has to be some sort of negative consequence to these woke young lawyers, these woke young doctors, or they're just going to keep going down that path. And it's dangerous in medicine. It's actually dangerous. Oh, it's it's really dangerous, Megan. Medicine and legal too. I mean, I don't want to change the subject on you, but the legal profession's already been, I mean, I'm not preaching the choir here, already been tainted horribly by this leftist ideology. Well, these kids who are graduating places like Georgetown Law, I mean, like, like the top ones out there, they are full-blown nutballs. And the malfeasance <laughs> we've seen recently in this country from judges. Well, guess where that kid who graduated Georgetown this year, guess where he's going to end up one day? Possibly as a judge presiding over your case. What do you think he's going to think about those memes you were sharing with a buddy on Facebook? How much of a national security threat do you think he's going to think you are? The, 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 the corruption of our, our system, every part of our system coming up from our university system is really scary when you when you take it to its logical conclusion. 
Thank God for the Supreme Court right now. That's that's all yeah. I can say is that they're the last line of defense on this at the moment. Um, all right. I'm going to take a, a quick break, but then I'm going to come back because I want to talk to you about what happened in Georgia last night. Uh, Herschel Walker went down and Raphael Warnock has been reelected. And now it's official that the GOP's position in the Senate is even worse than it was before the midterms. Jesse's been one of the most interesting commentators on the midterm results. I've been trying to get him on since the midterms. So this is the perfect day to have him. Him, uh, more with him and his thoughts on this and what it means for Republicans next. Swing into Seaside Golf in Ocean City, Maryland. Play like a pro at 17 championship courses designed by golf legends like Jack Nicholas and Arthur Hills. Tee off on sweeping vistas at Eagles Landing. Savor the coastal views of Lighthouse Sound or see why Ocean City Golf Club is considered one of the Mid-Atlantic's finest fairways. Whether you're sneaking in a quick round on a family vacation or going all in on a golf getaway, fun is always in play at Ocean City, Maryland. Plan your trip at OCOcean.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So it's official. Herschel Walker lost and he lost big. He lost. um, Well, Warnock finished ahead of Walker in November by 37,000 votes. His lead right now over Walker is almost 100,000 votes, 97,000 and change. So it's decisive victory, not particularly surprising. Um, And, you know, it's it, it is official that the Trump supported candidates did very poorly. J.D. Vance won in Ohio, but, you know, you, you could have predicted that for, based on most Republicans. Herschel Walker was handpicked by Trump. I don't know if you can blame it all on Trump. Herschel Walker had so many issues, but there is a question of vetting and whether he should have been chosen. And it's just been a complete disaster for the GOP in the Senate, at least this midterm election. They had such opportunity in front of them and that opportunity was massively blown. So you had tweeted out after the disappointing to Republicans uh, midterms. Tomorrow's a new day. The fight goes on. If you're bummed, wake up and lick your wounds, then get back after it. They're never going to stop. Neither should you. So what does that look like, do you think, now in the wake of this? Well, locally is what it looks like, Megan. And this is this is I talk about this all the time. And it's not sexy, right? Everyone wants to talk about the pre- who's going to be president in 2024. Oh, who's going to be senator? congressman, because those are the people we see on TV. Those are the people who come on the Megyn Kelly show. Those are the big shots, right? We want, we, want to, we want to talk about the big shots. The federal government sucks, and the federal government is probably lost. And the national GOP is just, just absolutely despicable in every possible way. Now, I wanted Herschel Walker to win, so that sucks. But wake up today and tell me it's 51-49 in the Senate. I don't give a crap. But the, 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 we just had 15 Republicans go over and vote with Democrats on a gun control bill. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be bummed out now because we don't have the Senate. We wouldn't have had the Senate if it was 5149 Republicans because Washington, D.C. Republicans suck and they don't stand for anything and they're not fighting back against anything. They've always been this way and they're just worse now than they've ever been. But locally, we have so much we can do. People don't, people don't realize how much power they have. You, give them Congress and the Senate. Screw them. 
Go win your school board race. Go for city council. Go for county board of supervisors. The country nationally is in very, very deep trouble, and the federal government is probably beyond repair. But your local community, that's the most important part of your life. You can still win races there. You can change the culture around you, get to know your neighbor, run for local things. That's what really matters. Okay, we lost another Senate seat. Who gives a crap? Mm. It's interesting because a couple of years ago, I went down and I talked to Moms for Liberty uh, in Florida. And this is a great group. And they've been working very hard to push back on the indoctrination of our children in, and, and the, the over-masking and the vaccine, all that. They, they just take on parental, they want parental choice and parental rights restored in the classroom. And um, they were talking about, this is two years ago, how some of them had run for school board and some of them had made it on school boards and had had feces smeared on their front doors. I mean, the the blowback on these women, these moms for saying, don't tell my kid he, there's something inherently wrong with him based on his skin color. Right. This is what they were saying. And they were targeted. Then you look at what happened in this last election and the Republicans won every single school board that they fought for. I think either all of them or like all of them minus two or three. I mean, thanks to Ron DeSantis and his coattails in part, but also thanks to their hard work that they'd been doing community by community. And that really is going to change the lives of these school children in Florida more than anything else. Well, it's going to change the country, Megan. I mean, this is the, the communists didn't take over this daggone country from Washington, D.C. That's just all we see now. It's just what we see on television. They took over the country, starting with the education of our children. It is the most important thing in the nation. And it's hard to convince someone that, hey, I want to wake up in the morning and they look at the news and they think, oh, it's terrible. What do I do? It's hard to convince that person your local school board race is actually how you save that country you're worried about. It doesn't seem that way. It seems well, that's not a big solution. There's no solution. There's no election, no midterm, no presidential election that is going to undo what's been done to this country. It's taken a long time to get us here. It's going to take a long time to get us back. What, what I, I always make the tree analogy. People, people look at the country and they want to fix it. But what they see is they see the leaves, right? You see the branches and the leaves and you think that's how you fix it. That's not what makes a tree. What makes a tree are the roots. It's what you can't see. Washington, D.C. is the leaves and the branches. It's what you see and all the pretty flowers. They didn't take over the country by getting the branches. They got the roots. The roots are where we have to begin. And there is so much local good. We're winning like all these school board races as you brought up across the country, but we're winning city council races, sheriffs, uh, county board of supervisors, state house, state legislature. There are huge pockets of this country that are salvageable and wonderful. And we can do a lot of good if we would focus local. Local is what I care about the most. So National should- GOP sucks. I should remind our audience that you actually back in the day ran for office, you served our country honorably as a U.S. Marine, went to Iraq. Um, so you know how to fight and you you've dabbled in politics like you've got some experience behind these opinions. Um, whenever I listen to you, it makes me want to fight harder. And it, it it's a good counter to my natural inclination, which is, you know, I, I'm fine with fighting, but I'm softer hearted. <laughs> I think um, the Mike, my Kelly brother, we must be related. We've talked about it before. We don't know. But in any event, sometimes I listen to you and I'm like, you know what? He's got a point. Because I'm like, well, we should try to be tolerant. We should say pronouns. But then we should fight against child mutilation, that kind of thing. But you, I, you know, you're kind of like, MK, 
like pump the brakes because you know what tolerance gets you in dealing with these people who are trying to destroy the our way of living who don't want you to be in charge of what happens to your kid and so on and i thought of you jesse when this this soundbite was making the rounds on twitter courtesy of libs of tiktok and i was like jesse kelly is right <laughs> he's right again watch this this is where the pronoun thing is going hello i'm not magpie i'm tal but i can explain so Magpie's pronoun set is it, bug, dirt, they, right? It and they are used normally. So its name is Magpie, the sweater belongs to it, and it was going by itself. And then their name is Magpie, this belongs to them, they were going by themselves. For bug, it would be bug's name is Magpie, the sweater belongs to bug, bug was going by bug's self. And then for dirt, it would be dirt is Magpie, the sweater belongs to dirt, dirt was going by dirt's self. You can use these interchangeably in a sentence, you can use just one of them, or you can use different ones at different times. Hope this helps. I hope this helps explain the new pronouns bug and dirt and how they we have to use those now instead of just she, he, they. What I mean, there's no end. Well, there's no end. That's why, I mean, you brought up your soft part. Megan, you want to be more like you than like me. I understand that I'm a cold <laughs> individual. I, I, I really do understand that. But I also do understand the mind of these people and where this is going. We, 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 to we tolerate them, right? We want to be kind. And that's something you want to be. I want my sons to be kind. I, I want them to have soft hearts. I, I want them to be that. But I also want them to understand when they're dealing with somebody who is their mortal enemy and treat them as a mortal enemy once you've been proven of that. We're not dealing with people who, who just feel like we need a different color of drapes in the house. Now let's just, we just have a different opinion on the drape color. We're dealing with people who want to burn down the house and they're going to try to burn down the house. You have to assess what you're dealing with. We're dealing with people who want the destruction of every single part of your culture that you value. That is their religion. That is what they believe. For whatever reason, we have these different malcontents and they want to destroy it all. Well, I can't be tolerant of that. I'm not going to be tolerant of that. God, you want to destroy what I love. I don't want you to. We're going to have to fight about it. And then we'll figure out who wins in the end. One of the, I mean, the biggest issues for the left, the woke left in their lectures is climate change. And we've seen a fair amount of that recently. I mean, it's it's what's happening over with the Dutch farmers. Now they are actually starting to seize the Dutch farmers farms. They refuse to take the buyouts. And so they're just going to lose their farms because they've decided, well, too many emissions from your farm and you're near an environmentally sensitive area. And therefore, we're taking your farm. Good luck making your future living. It's really not our concern. I know we, we had um, we went into this in depth last Friday, and it's really we worry that that's a canary in the coal mine because we have woke activists over here who are obsessed with climate change who would in a second, in a second, take American farms if they thought they could get away with it. Um, it's a cause near and dear to the heart of Prince Harry, Jesse, who was honored in New York last night, notwithstanding his past swastika wearing as a Halloween costume yeah. and his use of um, racial slurs against his fellow uh, platoon mates. He was honored for his anti-racist behaviors. Um, and on his way to receive his honor, he took a private jet. Then he got into a gas guzzling SUV. Then he was part of a convoy of SUVs, which I think numer numbered uh, was it three or six uh, SUVs that they oh, it was five, it was three SUVs accompanied by five security guards after their private jet. And all I could think of was this little soundbite from Prince Harry, same man at the U.N. in July on Nelson Mandela International Day. Listen to this. This has been a painful year in a painful decade. We're living through a pandemic 
that continues to ravage communities in every corner of the globe. Climate change wreaking havoc on our planet, with the most vulnerable suffering most of all. <laughs> and, uh, and I am the one perpetrating it. <laughs> it's like, so I'm sure he'd want you to give up your SUV. He doesn't want you on a private jet. But, you know, for him, it's a different story. He's a royal. Oh, well, well, people should understand this way of thinking goes way beyond princes. They all think they're princes now, Megan. I mean, we, we're, we're fond of doing this on the right, where what, I'm on the right. We point out hypocrisy. Right? That's what uh, conservatism has been most of my life. Oh, he's a hypocrite. Look at this hypocrite. Look what a hypocrite he is. He's not a hypocrite. All right. He's not a hypocrite at all. He sees himself as a king and a queen. He sees you as a peasant. He's not a hypocrite. Of course, the kings and queens get access to gas guzzling SUVs and private jets, and they're going to tell you to eat bugs and enjoy the bug soup while they sip on, you know, champagne and eat filet mignon. But it's not hypocrisy at all. Kings and queens get access to things peasants do not. Because he's a king and queen, he gets to decide what you believe. He gets to decide what you're allowed to say, what guns you're allowed to own, what car you're allowed to drive, what job you're allowed to do, because that's what kings and queens do. You, peasant, you don't get access to the thing kings and queens do. We saw this during COVID all the time when every single Tom, Dick and Harry lockdown politician got caught on somebody's cell phone camera the next night out partying with no mass hugging people. It wasn't hypocrisy. It was never hypocrisy. It was them being above you. The leaders of the West used to see themselves as the knights protecting freedom. Now they see themselves as kings and queens, and they find your freedoms to be ridiculous, all of them, definitely your climate freedom. And I want people to understand what this looks like in practice, because they, I get people yelling at me sometimes because I call these people communists, even though that's clearly what they are. And I believe it's Oxfordshire County. I don't know. I'm not from that place, but it's over there in the UK. They're doing a test run in 2024 of climate lockdowns. You didn't think we were done with a lockdown thing, did you? And here's what it looks like. They're going to divide Oxfordshire County into six zones. They are then going to set up checkpoints and the main roads between the zones, and you have so many times you're allowed to travel in between the zones, and they will determine who gets a travel pass and who does not get a travel pass. Papers, please. Do you really still think you're not dealing with communists? That's exactly what all these people are. That is scary. And honestly, back to the Dutch farmers, you're starting to see the extreme ends of this, of this just moral insanity. Um, He's not the only one, Prince Harry lecturing us. I don't know if you caught the Jane Fonda clip on MSNBC with Ari Melber, but you may not be. I know you're very worried about feminism and toxic masculinity. So this clip is for you, Mr. Kelly. Jane Fonda, Hanoi Jane, has got thoughts on the true root cause of climate change. Listen. I learn more about climate as I really dig deep as I have for the last four or five years. What you realize is. If there were no racism, there'd be no climate crisis. If there was no misogyny, there'd be no climate crisis. It's a it's part of a mindset. It's the mindset that looks at a woman and says, nice tits. <laughs> Megan, one, 
it, it, it pains me to say this about that woman who I loathe, but she does. She's still really hot, especially at that age. Credit to Jane Fonda for being so hot. And it's hard for a feminist to be that hot for that long because bitterness it ages you faster than a two pack a day cigarette habit. I, you know, just I have it on good authority. She's had some work done, but FYI, don't <laughs> ask her about it. <laughs> you know what? Oh, I'm shocked because her cheeks don't move anymore. But still, I mean, credit to Jane Fonda for that. But everything. I'm actually glad she brought that up. It, it, it's, it goes back to something I talk about a lot, how we think we think about these different branches of the American left, American communists, what I call them. But we think about feminists, right? We think about the feminists and the civil rights hustlers and the, the LGBTQ and the mob and the climate change people. And we think about them as if they're different, as if they're definitely different. They're definitely separate. No, these people just care about the planet. These people uh, want women's rights. And we, they're not separate at all. There's a reason they seem separate, yet they always end up working together and working with one another because they're not separate. They're all one group with one goal. What they're doing is they sell separate things to find separate malcontents. Everyone isn't a bitter feminist with 10 cats. Some people <laughs> are, but that's a way to bring you into the communist fold. So they go out and say, hey, we'll sell you free cat litter. Just come join us. And then the cat ladies, the feminists come on inside. Everyone isn't concerned about the, the planet warming or cooling. Who can track what it's what they tell you it's doing nowadays? But some people are. So you tell them, hey, just, we'll fix it. You bring into the fold. It's just the old group of malcontents. That's all communism is brought into the big tent. And they're all told, just give me power and I'll punish the people you blame for your problems. There it is. You know, on the subject of Meghan and Harry last night, they, they got up there, they got this ridiculous award. I mean, truly, like, what have they done to fight racism? I mean, she, she basically gave an interview to Oprah. So, OK. Um, but she she had an interesting remark that was just, of course, once again, clueless. She talked about how this is the beginning. She was quoting RFK, the original RFK Jr. was like, what the hell are they are the Kennedys honoring these losers for? He goes, the only upside is it's better than their honoree last year or the year before, which was Fauci. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it's the other Kennedys. It's his sister, the another child of RFK, the OG. And she says, this is the beginning. This is the be just the beginning of their work on anti-racism and talked about sweeping down the walls of oppression, sweeping down the mightiest walls of oppression, quoting RFK. Jesse, they're oppressed. Are they oppressed? I'm like, d of course, she speaks of herself, which we can tell from her trailer and her movie and so on. The fact that you've got an actual prince and a duchess up there saying how they are the ones who are going to fight the walls of oppression. And by that, they just mean the mean royal family that didn't give them everything they wanted in their castle. <laughs> We've really jumped the shark. Well, it's our culture now today, Megan. Isn't it, isn't it so sad to watch victim actually be the highest status one can achieve. You see this over and over and over again. It's so bizarre to me. I guess it's just because I was raised differently, you know, overcome, you know, don't whine, don't complain. You go make it happen. You go succeed. That is what you want. Success. You go work hard for it. And in our culture now, we're so twisted up and backwards that we have these people that are success stories, both princes and, and Americans all over the place, like the success story you could possibly, it's the greatest success ever. LeBron James, greatest example of this horrible childhood, no father, and overcomes all that. He's a billionaire now, one of the greatest basketball players ever. Dude, you are awesome. You are, you are the shining light of what you can do in America. And what's LeBron James want to be? Victim. 
but he wants to be a mm-hmm. victim. Not racist. Everyone's racist. This is racist against me. He has all that, all this. He has everything. And he wants to be a victim because that is what our culture values above all else. As soon as these people get rich and famous and successful, they, they, they almost have like this weird survivor's guilt about it, that they haven't been victims. And that's really what they need to be. It's really gross. And it's, it's interesting raising a kid in this environment for sure. And on top of it, then they feel the need to turn around and rip on our country, rip on the oh, very yeah. place that gave them all of those riches and made all of that success possible. You know, Michelle Obama is a great example. Last week or last month, she's out there talking about how she thought about wearing her hair in its natural state in braids, um, she said when she was first lady. But she's like, nope, they're not ready. You know, this this country of racists that elected my husband. As president of the United States, that would be a bridge too far for them to see my natural hair. That's what she thinks of us. That's what she's always thought. I remember that soundbite too. They ain't ready, y'all. I remember. Oh, I remember her saying it very, very well. This woman who rose from Chicago and is now, I believe they're worth something like $100 million or something like that. Former first lady of the United States of America has been photographed on gigantic yachts, including Oprah's out there, travels to planet on private jets, sipping champagne and eating steak and she still thinks this place sucks this place just is an evil place and she hasn't been given a fair shake it is it has become the highest achievement of our culture and it's so poisonous megan it's so terrible for people you see it now because like when they see that it really does have a huge effect on a culture when you see that from Michelle Obama or someone like that's a great example. What what do kids see? What do teenagers see, especially teenagers without a a strong parent relationship, a strong parent unit at home that's teaching them appropriate values? What do they see? What do they want? They want to be victims, too. It's their ultimate goal in life. It's really terrible for us. Oh, my God. Wait, I've just got to get this in. Did did you see I I feel like you might have tweeted about this Shark Week? Shark Week. Somebody did a study, a study on all the years of Shark Week and determined that it's too white, not the sharks, not like, you know, we need less great whites. They need less whites on Shark Week programming and too many guys named Mike. I'm like, this has to be a joke. Is this a troll? (laughs) Did this actually happen? Well, it's it, it goes to show there are people that are so sick out there they can actually watch Shark Week and instead of watching like you watch or like I watch, oh wow, that's a big shark! I'm never going swim again. Instead, they're counting just how many whiteies there are out there. What, what a country we become! <laughs> so so very proud. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. My mom had my two older kids at one point. Thatcher was just a baby and they were maybe five and four or six and four. And uh, I said, mom, you got them like, you know, they're little whatever. She's like, I got them. We're going to play board games. We're going to play charades. And we picked up our kids after two days and they're they're like, apparently the charades stopped the moment we left. It turned into nonstop television watching ice cream, cookies, cupcakes, candy. And my mom with a nonstop shark week marathon saying, and it's all real. It's all real. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That show has really jumped the shark, if you'll pardon the horrible pun. I, last time I watched was two or three years ago, and they did a whole show that I bought, Hilk, Line, and Sinker, and then they tell you at the end, yeah, we made this whole thing up <laughs> about some <laughs> giant shark that was eating all the others. I'm so bummed out. I wanted that to be true, Megan. I'm just saying, like, my mom, that's how we Kellys are raised. They scare yeah. the living daylights out of you at a very young age. Get them trained early. It's a tough yeah. world, and you got to toughen up. Jesse Kelly, always a pleasure. Great to see you. See you, Megan. 
All right, when we come back, our pal Buck Sexton joins us. Don't miss that. And he's going to have some thoughts on this FBI situation. You know, he was at the CIA for a while. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Well, Time Magazine has named its Person of the Year. Who is it? We'll get to that with our next guest, Buck Sexton, former CIA officer and co-host of The Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you back, Buck. So it is... Zelensky. It is a Volodymyr Volensky or Zelensky of Ukraine. I guess that's not surprising. Uh, what do you make of the choice? I, it would have been the one that I gave the, the best odds for. I, I think it's clear that there's a, a huge, um, quite well, maybe there's a bit of a cult uh, around Zelensky in the West specifically. Look, there, there's a lot about this that I think doesn't fit into the traditional left right paradigm in this country, even though that's the way people are speaking about it and, and thinking about it all the time. Uh, I, I feel like anytime anyone says it's complicated or there's nuance, they get booed by everybody these days. But there really are in terms of what our interests are, where I think uh, we, our interests coincide very much with Ukraine, where things go too far. And it's just turned into for a lot of people, particularly a lot of Democrats, you put up five Ukraine flags, you triple mask, and you get to think you're a better person than everybody else. <laughs> Could they even find Donetsk on a map? No, but who cares? Right, right. Good point. Um, well, at least it's not Liz Cheney, who was on the short list right next to him. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> they actually thought it might be yeah, Liz you know, Cheney. I, I keep seeing these, these people who make, it's really pretty hilarious. They make this case that they're the real conservatives, that the Republican Party uh, should turn to them. And if you just give it enough time, and usually, by the way, there's a break that occurs. It's usually has to do with Trump, but you give it enough time and eventually they're on they're on like MSNBC and their only job in life or, you know, over at CNN is to make fun of all Republicans and talk about how Republicans are extremists on this and that. And and then they've made the full switch. I think that's where Liz Cheney is. I mean, for all of her talk about principle, it really was just about Liz Cheney and the Cheney name. And and you see this over and over again. So I'm glad it wasn't her. I will say that. I'm happy that Liz Cheney wasn't the one that they decided to go with. Although, also, does Time Magazine even exist beyond the Time Person of the Year at this point? Yeah, I, I know. I can't even remember the last time, uh, Megan, that I read a Time article, honestly. No. Same. And I spent no, all day reading online. I agree with you. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Not, like, just never even see it. So they're not in the national conversation. I will say while we're, while we're on the subject of Liz Cheney, um, interesting visual. Uh, the I think it was yesterday at um, as they paid tribute to the Capitol Hill police officers who dealt with mm, the January yes. 6th riot. And that's fine. You know, it, I can't help. I'm glad that they're paying tribute to the cops who fought the mob. I am. But to me, it's just it's so hard to cheer this on because the people doing the honoring, the people pushing this, those Democrats, they hate cops. Who are they kidding? 
They couldn't have cared less when those cops took batons in the face and got shot dead during the Black Lives Matter protests. Only because it was a political issue do they now feel the need to pretend that they're celebratory of law enforcement. So there's like a little bit of a, there's a, you know, it sticks in my craw because I know it's not sincere on their part. Well, of course not. I'm I'm a student of the Russian Revolution and Marxism and the the early days of of the Bolshevik. This is why I don't I do have a fiance, but I don't have much of a social life. So I read about these things for fun on a regular basis. And I, I just bring it up because the extremism, the everything for the revolution, nothing outside the revolution mindset is different here in America. But for a lot of people on the left, it's absolutely present. There is no principle. There is no uh, there's no matter of of honor or integrity that is not secondary to what is best for the Democrat Party in the moment. Uh, the truth is, as we all know, the fact is that Officer Sicknick died of a stroke days after an event that was, yes, a riot, but absent blunt force trauma, which is what they told us he died of originally. Remember that? It was the mm-hmm. fire extinguisher, which was a horrific story, and, and people initially reacted to it with the outrage that it deserves. That was a lie, a total lie. Um, I've been to a lot of, obviously covering them, not partaking in them, Black Lives Matter protests, Antifa riots. I've seen what they do. And I can assure everyone watching that if a police officer died of a heart attack or a stroke a week later, nobody would say that BLM had murdered that person, right? Now, there was a lot of violence against cops in the summer of 2020, uh, outright violence, I like to remind everybody, because I think they should be reminded, that it was a tactic of Antifa, particularly in Portland, uh, to try to blind police officers with lasers. And I've said this before, if somebody was actively trying to blind me to take away my sight, uh, I would feel justified using extreme levels of force in opposition to that. So what happened at the Capitol, there's a few few layers to it. I, I think one You see that there are people who buy into the narrative that all Republicans are guilty of the insurrection, even though 99% of Republicans that I know immediately said, not only is this wrong, it's a blunder. Not only was this um, something you shouldn't do, the riot, but it was stupid for the cause. Uh, But beyond that, uh, there is no principle, Megan, because violence against police is not something that the Democrat Party uh, spends any time thinking about or worried about unless it is January 6th. And we've all seen that. And, and I think that family members acting as props for uh, the Democrat agenda, it's sad. It's their right. Wait, let's but talk about that's that. That's where we Let me interrupt because we haven't gotten to that. The audience may not know what we're talking about. And that is the family of Brian Sicknick, uh, the officer you, you referenced who did not die during the Capitol Hill riot, but um, a day or two thereafter. And he had a stroke and they determined it was natural causes, but there may have been a contributing factor with some pepper spray that uh, he inhaled the day of the riot. Um, his family shows up. We're showing video for the listening audience right now. His family refused to shake the hand of Mitch McConnell. I mean, here Mitch McConnell's got his hand out, ready to shake their hands. And of Kevin McCarthy, um, you know, the, the Republican leaders in the in the Senate and the House, respectively. And they just refused to shake their hands. And it was just a they shook Nancy Pelosi's hand and Chuck Schumer's hand. Uh, it was just such a low moment. It was just such a low moment for them not to shake the hands. They these. Lawmakers got out there, were ready to greet the families, pay tribute to Brian Sicknick and the other cops, and they refused to so much as deign for a handshake. And then one of the family members, the brother of Officer Sicknick, went on um, CBS News 
and explained. Oh, okay. He was just speaking to him. But in any event, he explained why, why they did that. Listen here. They came out right away and condemned what happened on January 6th. And whatever hold that Trump has on them, they've backstepped, they've danced. They won't admit to wrongdoing, not necessarily them themselves, but of Trump, of the rioters. And now it takes away everything my brother's done. It takes away my brother, my, the, the heroism my brother showed. You, know, you, don't, think, you don't think they deserved a handshake in this context? No. No, no, no. definitely not. No, because, they, because unlike Bush Cheney, they have no idea what integrity is. They can't stand up for what's right and wrong. But it's no, with them, it's party first. I mean, these are not these are not guys who have failed to condemn January 6th. They didn't vote for Trump's impeachment. Right. But he's not talking about, you know, sort of the hardcore Trump supporters. So Mitch McConnell, uh, what is so that's what you're you're making reference to, that they're being yeah. used. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry that his I'm sorry that his brother died of a stroke, um, but his political analysis is delusional. And this is a tactic the Democrats have used for as long as I mean, as long as I can remember uh, you will probably recall the, the so-called 9-11 widows. Now, I say so-called because I think there were four of them. And as we all know, there were a whole lot more than that who were widowed by the events of 9-11. But they claimed to speak for everybody who was lost on 9-11 in campaign commercials for John Kerry. And they were trying to weaponize their message and their grief, saying essentially 9-11 happened because George Bush is a bad president. And then anytime someone says, well, hold on a second, that's that's one, that's absurd. And, and two, that's entirely unfair. It was, why aren't you listening to the widows? Speak, you know, they're speaking to their grief and their That's truth. Right. And then a lot of other people who lost family members on 9-11 came out and said, well, they don't speak for me. So this is a this is a, a tactic that the Democrats love to use. By the way, I don't think that that failure to shake the hands was something that just happened on the spot. I think that they had planned to do that beforehand. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they had spoken to some Democrats either officially or unofficially, who had said, you know, what would be a good idea? But I obviously can't prove that. I'm just saying I wouldn't that wouldn't shock me if it came out that that were the case. Uh, but whether it's Greta Thunberg, remember, use a 16 year old to convince the world what to do with climate change and trillions of dollars of wealth. But if you don't go along with this lunacy, you're child bashing. You're a bad mm -hmm. person. Uh, they do this all the time. It's very tiresome. Um, and, and in this case, honestly, I think that it just showed that, unfortunately, playing the I'll bend the knee and condemn as often as you want game just plays into the hands of the worst elements of the Democrat Party. I mm. condemn January 6th as it was happening in real time. Anyone who knows anybody in the conservative movement and has any uh, of any integrity or respect knows that it was a bad idea. It was terrible. And they condemned it. Where are the condemnations of BLM riots that lasted for months, including in my own neighborhood that shattered uh, shattered store windows? injured police officers, some seriously. I think there were a couple of dozen people who lost their lives in those riots overall yeah. uh, when they tabulated it at the Thousands end. Thousands of police and officers There's injured. been no condemnation. Well, what what is it? Is it that the Republicans aren't as good at, at playing that game? You know, the Republicans don't demand that you apologize for supporting BLM and letting them terrorize the nation in summer of 2020 and hurting a lot of cops. They don't demand it. Is it that they don't know how to play the game or is it that they don't control enough industries that run the national conversation to to make that behavior a game changer? Oh, it's definitely a, it's a combination. Um, the latter part or the, the second part that you bring up, I think, is is the more more obvious one in that 
they just have so many more artillery pieces to bring to the battlefield of propaganda uh, that they can effectively flood the zone. And so even the most obtuse, absurd, or untrue messaging over time, they just have an advantage in getting people to, st to start to believe it and also to make people um, obey or to make people respond to it, right? I mean, if you if you could have one person in conservative media ask a Democrat a question once, he could ignore it. Well, if if 95% of journalists, because they're all Democrats, are asking a Republican the same question, it's much more likely to respond to it. But then I, I also believe um, that there is, I think that there's a connection between being a Democrat and some degree, or being, I should say, a true believer Democrat and leftist these days, and some degree of of emotional instability and a belief that emotion is more important than reason. And if you feel something very passionately and deeply, it doesn't matter whether or not it's true, that the fulfillment of your emotional needs through politics is actually much more important than any argument, than data, than principle, than the law. And I think you see that playing out in a whole in a whole range of ways. So people are willing to use the, I'm a victim, how dare you criticize me, on the left um, much more readily than you'll see on the right, just based on the psychology, I think, of the two groups at the macro level. Well, this discussion of our institutions of January 6th and of this victimhood mentality bring me quite neatly to Yoel Roth, the guy at Twitter, oh, yeah. discussed him a little bit in our first hour, former head of trust and safety, head of trust and safety. Fail, sir. Fail. Um, who uh, gave an interview talking about some of their censorship decisions and dis discussed the day of January 6th for you know his team in the most personal of terms. Here it is, Sat Aten. Donald Trump. That one I don't think was a mistake. January 6th. So it, it starts on the 6th, but it also starts prior to that. Thanks. The events of the 6th happen. And... Um, if you talk to content moderators who worked on January 6th, myself included, the word that nearly everybody uses is trauma. Mm -hmm. We, oh we experienced those events, not some of us as Americans, but not just as Americans or as citizens, but as people working on sort of how to prevent harm on the Internet. It's unbelievable. I'm sure it was traumatic for the cops, not for you. You're sitting out in California in an office that's probably decorated in flowers and you're eating your kale and having your little latte and you were not traumatized by anything. We were just talking about emotional instability of the libs like 60 seconds ago. And here you have somebody that this is exactly what I'm talking about. I didn't even know you're going to play that clip. Somebody who thinks that I'm really emotionally upset by something. Therefore, I'm going to abandon the promise to the users of Twitter that we've made that this is a free speech based platform. Um, I'm going to uh, ab abandon the notion that I shouldn't put my hand on the scale for one side or the other in it politically and to get rid of a sitting president from your platform. And look, that was in a sense, I'm, I'm happy that they did it. Um, mm. It was important. It was wake up time for conservatives all across the country. It was the the crossing of the Rubicon moment. They picked a sitting president off of not even just Twitter, but Facebook, I think Pinterest. So whatever the latest uh, arrangement <laughs> of petunias that Donald Trump wanted to share, no longer, no longer able to can't can't show how he arra arranges his tea cozies in the White House or whatever on Pinterest. I mean, it was truly bonkers stuff. And they also uh, they also went after Parler. On, on completely false pretenses. Remember that they kicked Parler off of 
uh, Amazon Web Services, uh, the servers effectively de-interneted uh, a company that was trying to just be a free speech based platform. Meanwhile, so it was Facebook, where most this of the is what happens. Is. I mean, yep. Keep going. I was just saying Facebook is. No, I was just going to say this, this is what happens when you, you mentioned platform dominance. I mean, we got to the point where they felt invincible. So they became really aggressive and at some level sloppy with the way that they were engaged in this kind of propaganda. Because what Twitter had been doing, Twitter had been doing this for a long time. It's just that they used to lie about it and say, oh, we don't actually shadow ban people or we, we're not taking action based upon political speech. Oh, they've been doing that for years. But a lot of it was that I, I think they didn't want to get the heat. And there's also a value to the pretense that Twitter is a free speech platform. So you, you would have, for example, people pushing certain ideas. You know, let's say if, if you're a, a Democrat CNN cable news host or MSNBC or, you know, you name it. Uh, you're able to push these ideas and there's this belief that your following and your reach and all these things are organic. It's just a lie, right? I mean, this is like somebody who's entering the the sprinting contest or the deadlifting contest who's taking steroids. Like it's it's a fraud. And so that was a component of the social media platforms for years. But then they just realized, why even go through the pretense? What are they, what are they going to do about it? And in the 2020 election, they reached the, what are you going to do about it? Deal with it. We own the internet. That was the attitude. Yeah, that's exactly right. And 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 I'm thinking about that guy and his behavior in the context of our country right now. Because I'll tell you, Buck. You know, I'm raising three young kids and two boys and a girl. And my daughter is definitely the most empathetic of my three kids. All three of them have empathy for people who are hurting. But my daughter, probably not by accident, she's a girl. Um, takes on other people's, you know, hurt feelings or pain in a more profound way than my sons do. And I talked to her about it because being, you know, empathetic towards somebody is good, but taking on somebody else's quote trauma as your own is not good. That's not healthy. And I, I always say to her, you know, honey, th that is not your upset. Don't take on somebody else's upset. You can feel um, sadness for them that they're going through something. You can recognize injustice or a bad situation when you see it. You know, somebody finds out, you find out your friend's relative has cancer. You can feel bad for them, but you can't, there's a difference between then owning that, like saying it's my pain, it's mine. And I will respond to it. Like it's my pain. That's this guy needed that lecture. This Yoel Roth and his little workers at the trust and safety department needed to be taught that difference because we, what we now have is perpetual victimhood. And we know that, but this is a little window into how it happens. You see any upset in the world and you claim it as your own. You want the victimhood status that comes with a wrong that's being done to somebody 2000 miles away. Yes, well, well, victimhood is a, a tool of narcissism and self-congratulation in our society now. I mean, you're talking about normal childhood development, for example, for your daughter of wanting to help people. What can I do? And, you know, that's just the maturation process that we all go through. Right. I mean, you can't sit around if you see a, a, a homeless person. I mean, that's sad. But if you spend the next three days crying because you couldn't do anything for the homeless person, you're actually not helping yourself or that person right. or society. You know, you have to put these things into a proper context. Uh, and, you know, that happens, obviously, as we all get older. Um, I, I think that what you see in in this context of the victimization, the uh, the weaponization of of victimhood, 
um, is that people use this as a means of getting clicks and likes and attention for themselves. But also, we were just talking about this before, as a club with which they can bludgeon their ideological opponents, a way to shame people into obedience. Victimhood is a form of power here. It is it is the taking of uh, the the virtue of the other side and using it as uh, a weapon against them. You know, there is a quote from Frank Herbert who wrote Dune, which I actually think is probably the greatest sci-fi novel of all time. Actually made a pretty good movie of it recently, too. Um, but it's from Children of Doom, which I believe is the sequel, which I have not read. But the quote is, uh, when I am weak, I demand freedom because it is according to your values. When I am strong, I demand obedience because it is according to my values. Essentially, using the goodness of the other side against it, and then when the other side has no choice, make them do what you want them to do. I think that is the mantra of the Democrat left writ large in America today. What do you make of uh, James Baker and this revelation by Barry and Matt Taibbi, Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi, that he was the guy at Twitter as the deputy general counsel up until Tuesday, yesterday, screening the documents that he was going to turn over to Barry and Matt as part of Elon's effort to clean house to be transparent about what went down at Twitter. The same guy who was responsible for the suppression and who did all sorts of nefarious shit at the FBI was the guy who was deciding what documents would in fact be turned over to the journalists who were brought in to, you know, let what is that? The sunshine be the best disinfectant. Well, he wasn't too keen on their sunshine from the look of it and got the boot. But this guy is like the where's Waldo of suppression and censorship and nefarious behavior when it comes to Donald Trump? Oh, it's hard to make this stuff up, right? I mean, first of all, when you look at what Twitter was doing with things like the Trust and Safety Committee, it is as though they read Orwell's 1984, not as a warning, but as a how-to book. They're like, maybe <laughs> they we should just ideas. name it the, you know, the Trust and Safety Committee. You know, that, that'll, that'll <laughs> fool everybody. The whole thing was, was absolutely uh, absurd. And I always remind people that Google's first slogan was don't be evil. It's like, you, you, aren't you a search engine, an email company? Well, actually, they're a lot more powerful and a lot more than that, as we know. But there, there is, you know, sometimes they doth protest too much. Sometimes you do come up against a little bit more truth than they they hope to share. Um, and, and in the context of, and I'm like a, a mood to talk about Soviet stuff today, but they refer to the entire system of oppression in the Soviet Union as the apparatus. And I refer to the apparatus today in America as this is where you see the connection between the deep state in the federal government, the unelected fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy um, that is immensely powerful. And I used to work in it, so I have some familiarity with it as a former CIA analyst. Um, then you connect that to media institutions um, you connect that to corporate America that has gone incredibly woke to academia, and you have these these systems of of control. It's funny the left thinks in terms of systems of control and levers of power, and people on the right are always thinking, "Can't we just all live in liberty and be left alone, and you know, go farm our fields and stop bothering me?" And, and unfortunately, that's why they seize power very effectively in all these institutions that that I just mentioned. And Twitter is another example of this. I mean, to glide so seamlessly from being deep state 
you know, actor number five in the whole Russia collusion phenomenon to then being the, the chief lawyer of Twitter, it's like you couldn't make this stuff up. If this were a Hollywood screenplay, you'd say that's just a little bit too cute. And the fact that he was in any way involved in trying to vet what was coming out from Twitter at the time, I mean, keep in mind, there is a real axis, a real uh, connectivity between the social media companies and the intelligence community, which, again, yeah. I used to work for and still have many friends on the inside. And they are horrified, by the way, about both the wokeness and the politicization of that community. It's I think it's probably beyond repair at this point. Mm. Um, you have the same kinds of people that would have been going to work, you know, for left wing NGOs and building wind farms 20 years ago. They're all working at the CIA and the FBI now. So people need to understand that. Um, and, and I think that once you see the connectivity and the way that these institutions are all working together to push the same agenda, the same messaging, you, you recognize the work that the right has to do here just to achieve balance. And people often talk to me about how do we win? I'm like, how do we just get things where it's a more level playing field? Um, but what Elon Musk is doing, I mean, he is, he has done more for free speech, freedom, and, and, and just reason and rationality than anybody I can think of in the last decade, honestly. I mean, it's it's remarkable what he's showing everybody. Um, I definitely want to ask you about the shadow banning because this is this is the next shoe to drop, you think, over at Twitter. But yeah. before we get to that, let's spend some time on the CIA because you've referenced your time in it and what's happening now, the collusion, sure. the, the connectivity between them and the social media. Um, Okay, so now we've seen some of the Twitter files and we know that the Twitter executives worked actively to suppress the Hunter Biden reporting by The New York Post. Um, they did that, at least in part, because the FBI apparently came to them and said, beware of a Russian disinformation op uh, operation that's about to drop and and may or may not have specifically mentioned Hunter Biden. The FBI knew that that was um, coming because they'd been given the Hunter Biden laptop in 2019 by the computer repair guy. So, I mean, it really does smack of they understood this is coming. They understood it was real and then went and lied to the social media companies saying it was disinformation. But maybe they didn't think it was real. Maybe they thought it was disinformation. How? Why would they think that? Even CBS News, even The New York Times, even The Washington Post were able to confirm that it was real, um, namely because Hunter Biden didn't have a complete freak out saying it's not real. Right? <laughs> anyway, um, so let even yeah, so the, the benefit of the doubt. But 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 here's where I'm going with it. Fifty one intelligence officials came out with a letter after Twitter banned the report. Twitter made, you know, Twitter banned. And then we had the 51 intelligence, former intelligence officials come out and just went back and looked at it, knowing you were coming on. Forty three of the 51 signatories were former CIA, 43 of the 51, five former CIA directors signed the letter. Michael Hayden, Leon Panetta, John Brennan and Michael Morell, um, and then briefly acting John McLaughlin, uh, as well as a former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, eight CIA intelligence officers, seven analysts, four chiefs of staff and assorted others. The I, I worked for Post, all of those directors, but one, by the way. So I knew them all and worked for them. Yes. So this, the New York Post in March of this year went back and this is, you know, this is right around the time when the New York Times and others were declaring it real and said, mm, would you care to update your opinion that you dropped 15 days before an election that this was Russian disinformation? It was really stunning. James Clapper, Mr. Not Whittingly, um, he said, yes, I stand by the statement made at the time. At the time, it was appropriate. 
Uh, you got another guy, Russ Travers, former National Counterterrorism Center acting director. Um, the cautionary warning at the time was prudent. Andy Lipman, former National Counterterrorism Center deputy director. I do stand by the mm-hmm. statement, but I'm kind of busy right now. He told the, the post. David yeah. Price, uh, former CIA analyst and manager. I have no further comment at this time. Don Hepburn, former national security executive. Uh, my position has not changed any. I can't tell you what part is real and what part is fake, but the thesis still stands for me that it was a media influence hit job. Hello, Don. Hello, Don. You're wrong. You were wrong then. You remain wrong. And it goes on. from yeah. the, It's incredible, Buck. No one, n- not least of which Leon and, you know, um, John Brennan, all those guys, they, they haven't taken one step off of what they said. Never mind. Apologize for misleading us. Right. Well, Megan, they accomplished the mission. They get a high five. They get five. They get five stars. They, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. All of those people knew at some level or knew entirely all those former intelligence officials knew that they were lying. They are not that stupid. I worked with these people, literally worked with a number of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not stupid, but they were playing politics. And they knew that it was necessary to completely sacrifice their credibility and their integrity to try to help a doddering buffoon like Joe Biden across the finish line, full stop. This is also why you'll know nobody has had any action taken against them. There hasn't been any firing of somebody who was a contributor at at NBC or CNN. There hasn't been any pushback, again, from the apparatus for these people making laughable fools of themselves. It was it was never credible that this was this was fake or Russian disinformation, because if it were Russian disinformation, uh, if it were, for example, what we saw in 2016, which was a minute, you know, a, a, a tiny little speck in the Facebook spectrum of some Russian posts about Hillary Clinton or something, you know, that you can tell the people could look at them and you could realize there are misspellings and their things yes. like this. It would be so easy um, to see. And the moment you see one thing that's fake on the laptop, well, then you can disregard the whole thing. You, you could have shown this was fake in five minutes if you were a serious person, but they weren't serious people. They were only doing what they were supposed to do for the Democrat Party. They were acting as operatives, just like they would have been intelligence operatives before. They were acting as operatives for the DNC. And so this was to their benefit. By You would think, right, Megan, that on an issue to be that wrong, right? It's like if you were managing somebody's money and you're like, I'm betting it all on a housing crash and it didn't come. In fact, houses tripled in price. People wouldn't trust you anymore, right? All and of you'd those be horrified. advance their careers. Um, that story is not over. We're going to get more reporting from Barry and Matt, and we're going to learn more. Uh, they, they haven't yet oh, yeah. revealed the FBI warning. We know that be- from Twitter executives testimonials who are saying we were warned by the FBI, but that hasn't yet come out directly from Elon. We'll see. Uh, the Twitter filing reporting has just begun. Let's talk about shadow banning, because that's another thing so many conservatives. And to be honest, I also feel that I was on this list. Um, it, I have no idea. I have nothing to, ba- to base this on uh, w- with respect to myself other than the following. For like two years, um, I didn't get it like a single follower, not an additional follower, not like one. Mm-hmm. All right. Now that's just not, that's not normal. I've got like 2.6 million followers. You're telling me that just suddenly it all stopped. Like it doesn't make sense. I was tweeting, whatever. Um, and then as soon as Elon takes over, like I went up hundreds of thousands. It just doesn't make sense. 
But I don't know what happened, but I wouldn't be surprised at all to learn someone had a thumb on the suppression of my account, whatever. And I'm not even a conservative, right? Like there are people who are actual conservatives and really outspoken on Twitter who have horror stories about this way worse than the one I just told you. But I'm just offering mine just as backup to people who I know don't have a voice. Well, I I can tell you um, that I I have have a few people that I know uh, in the social media realm who I I work with and work with some other people that you and I, Megan, both know in, in common and I've had them crunch numbers on my account, and I would guarantee this would be true of yours as well. It is mathematically impossible for some of the things to occur that have happened, particularly in the last two years, on people's Twitter accounts without there being active measures taken against individuals, ideas, certain accounts. Full stop. Mathematically impossible, right? I mean, this is, you're getting into, uh, you know, when they say it's it's the it's this guy who did the crime. There's a one in, you know, 15 billion chance that somebody else shares the same DNA. You're getting into mm-hmm. like that level of mathematical certainty here. Um, and, and it makes perfect sense because if they're willing to do these big things, which they, which we know they were now, this is a matter of fact. Um, and I, I'd also, I just always like to remind everybody, they never, if you're wondering how could they be so sloppy and so brazen and these things in these emails that are coming out now, it would seem so stupid to even put some of it into writing. They never thought this would come out. Right. Whoever thought that Elon Musk was going to buy Twitter, take it private <laughs> so for forty-four true. billion dollars, right? I mean, that so if you had said that even eighteen months ago, people would have said you're crazy. Like that's just insane. That's enough forty-four billion dollars to buy a website that doesn't even make money. Um, and, and so now, when, when we look at what they did, I don't think people should be should be put off by the fact that uh, that they are. They were as sloppy, as brazen and partisan as we thought they were all along. Uh, we're just getting the proof now. And if they're willing to do the big things, kick Trump off of Twitter, for example, trust me, right? Everyone think this one through. You don't think that their trust and safety team would be willing to adjust the algorithm so that certain people, certain topics, certain trends were either elevated or de-elevated or suppressed. Uh, of course, they were doing that. And in some ways, I, I, as I've said, I've alluded to this. I wrote about this on, on FoxNews.com a couple of days ago. It's almost more pernicious because you it ban is. Donald Trump and everybody knows. And people aren't going to ask questions. Now, I think the Twitter attitude was, you know, screw you. It's our platform. We can do what we want, right? Okay. But at least we know. With shadow banning, Megan, you could come out with some idea, right? I mean, you have the you have the size of following where if you said something that is just true, that really resonates with people and could start um, a much larger conversation online, they can shut that down in its in its origins, in its infancy. And so think about the way that they can shift and shape conversation. But you don't know that. And your followers don't know that. And it's not hard to do it. And the, the issue, if somebody wants a little more specificity, masking is moronic. Um, it never made sense. It was never going to stop anything. It was obvious, you know, Dr. Fauci said to people privately in the beginning of the pandemic, when everybody was at their maximum fear level, yeah, like masks aren't going to do anything. He wouldn't say that about antibiotics if you had strep throat, right? I mean, there, there are certain things that a doctor wouldn't say so definitively in, unless they really believed it. Um, you don't just turn around and all of a sudden change on that the way that you did. But I think that the mass contagion uh, was only really possible because they shut down all discussion to the contrary 
and suppress people like me who are making the case for every study that has ever actually looked at this has shown that it is completely ineffective and a total joke, which is still true to this day, by the way. But now we just have two years of real world data looking around. Everyone, you know, wearing masks got sick anyway. Who cares? Um, so there were massive implications of this. But see, that's a that's more of a shadow banning uh, issue, I would say, um, than anything else. Even if their terms of service say, oh, we'll go after you. Uh, when they suspend you, you know it. When they shadow ban you, you just suffer in silence. And I think you that's the big tool it. that we'll see they used. I think this is fascinating. I mean, the, the, it is more per pernicious because you can say, oh, well, the FBI told them that there could be a disinformation campaign coming potentially about Hunter Biden. So, you know, they're weak. They're traumatized. They live in fear. OK, that's what they did. They, they resorted to their weakest instincts. Oh, they banned Donald Trump because he kept putting out, you know, dangerous messaging around Jan 6 or COVID misinformation in Alex Berenson's case. I'm, I'm not justifying any of this. I'm just saying you can at least see, OK, this is their defense. This is their this is why they did it. I have a reason. I might not agree with the reason, but they, they but the silencing of and it's going to be a big number of accounts, the the subtle suppression of them, um, of their messaging. And it would be it's it's guaranteed it's going to be heterodox message, it's not the like Republicans who said, like, lower taxes. It's going to be people who spoke out about BLM, covid push back on some of the you know official state messaging that we've been getting shoved down our throats over the past two or three years. Um, that is more disturbing because that's just all messaging that disagrees with my worldview must be silenced, diminished, changed, suppressed. Like that's evil. That's really evil. Because as you point out, you just have a feeling about it, but you don't know it. So how do you complain about it? And then you sound like a nutcase if you say, you know what? I understand people are like, you're just a loser. No, people just don't want to follow you. People just didn't like your message. That's right. And that's the right. And you're like, oh, well, that's possible, too. Right. But I mean, imagine if I if I had started a podcast that was just why masking doesn't work 101 and no one ever, you know, and, and I get five listens a day and I go, well, hold on. I, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm on a radio show with millions of listeners every day. I mean, I, I think I get more than five people a day to listen. But maybe <laughs> after a while, you're just like, well, I guess nobody wants to hear this podcast. Nobody cares. So it's a really underhanded tool of of propaganda and censorship and suppression that they were using. And and it was clearly going on. And I think you also see this uh, on the trans issue, uh, the trans agenda issue in particular, mm, um, right. because a lot of people yes. are now turning around who don't even pay very close attention to politics. And they're asking me, I mean, this is people that I just know socially, they'll say, how do we get to a point? where now there are people that work for these mainstream news outlets who are saying, you know, an, an eight-year-old putting a dollar bill in the thong of a gyrating man dressed as a woman claiming to be a woman, or maybe doesn't claim to be a woman, but just dresses as a woman, whatever, is in any way normal or permissible. Well, the way you can get to that is by shutting down any criticism of these things, including dead naming, misgendering, or just opposition to the trans agenda as a general rule, as hate speech, uh, which is a huge part of what the social media companies have done in recent years. Because those activists, I mean, the the pro-trans activists uh, out there are as organized, maniacal, and vicious as anybody you will find on any issue. Um, and they will come after yes. you with, with a total vengeance. They are completely insane. Um, they will say things like men can get pregnant and they think no, they're not laughable. Crazy. These they are biological men lecturing women like me about what it is to be a woman. Yes, Take a seat. Absolutely. And, and Megan, Take if you seat. have a problem with that, 
you're the problem. How do we get to that level of crazy in society without massive cheating on the battlefield of ideas, which is really what the social media companies mm. have been doing the last couple of years brazenly, but they've been doing it on and off for it the last five explains, or six years pretty aggressively. It also explains the divergence between your online experience and your real life experience. You know, you, yes. you step away from Twitter and you're like, oh, wait, everyone's sane in my real life. No one feels this way. There, where are all these lunatic leftists running around my town? Wait, the, the, all the Democrats I know are actually quite normal and don't believe in any of this crap. It's these activist wokesters who control these platforms and are active on these platforms and their allies who are suppressing the rest of us who are dominating the national conversation. And I'll, I'll say one thing about your Fox News op-ed, which is well worth the read. You also make the point that um, I'll read it from you. Uh, depending on how deep this goes at Twitter, there could even be downstream ramifications for how Facebook, Google and other tech giants engage in covert partisan warfare going forward. That is a good that is a green shoot uh, because if what's happening with Elon at, you know, the Elon Musk controlled social media site could change the way things are done at the other websites because he's gone first, he's exposing them and they all know they did it too. That would be a huge blessing. All right, let me pause, oh. do a quick break, come back on the opposite side. Much more to discuss. Buck Sexton stays with us. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com hey everyone it's ted from consumer cellular the guy in the orange sweater and this is your wake-up call if you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. So, Buck, our uh, respectable media is at it again, reporting fully and fairly on past controversies like the Waukesha Parade massacre that we saw this time last year in the wake of Kyle Rittenhouse being acquitted. That was a case in which a deranged black man mowed down a bunch of white Wisconsin parade goers tending to be grandmas, the dancing grannies come to mind um, after some vicious race rants online and some negative events in his life. And um, NBC would like you to know that Waukesha has come back to bring the parade back to us. And here is how they reported on this original incident. In Waukesha, Wisconsin, the town just finished marching in its annual Christmas parade. Of course, it was one year ago that a man drove a car into that crowd, killing six. Tonight, residents returned celebrating the lives lost and the town's determination to keep the tradition going. Maura Barrett is there. Tonight, Waukesha's Christmas parade is back, bigger and stronger than ever. The community turning up in force one year after tragedy struck when a man drove an SUV through the parade, killing six people and injuring dozens more. You see, he just drove the car, Buck. It was mm. just like maybe it maybe there was a uh, flat tire that caused him to go off the main road. It was just like an accident, potentially, 
Uh, you could draw that conclusion from this reporting. Oh, and by the way, the race of the man who did it and those he killed absolutely irrelevant, which is, you know, not exactly how NBC does it when those races are reversed in any other case. These are their rules, but they don't play by them when the narrative isn't supported. You had a black man engage in an act of domestic terrorism that was only possibly motivated uh, based on his own online pronouncements by uh, hatred of white people. There's there's never been another motivation offered up. And we were told, and this is the game the media plays, and it makes me uh, really angry. Um, and I actually used to go on and fight with people, believe it or not, at CNN as a terrorism analyst, because I've worked in the CIA's counterterrorism center, because they would do this thing of, well, well, we don't know the motive yet. We don't know the... And it would last three days, five days, 10 days, because if it didn't fit a political narrative that they wanted to tell that audience, they would essentially play the delay game until no one even remembers that there was an incident. That's exactly what they did in Waukesha. In that NBC report, when, since, since you and I have put out the facts, uh, the, the relevant facts of this case, a mass murder at a Christmas parade, including of an eight-year-old boy, uh, the following words, nowhere. In that whole, it was like a two-minute long segment. Uh, I watched it a few times through to make sure I wasn't missing anything. The words um, murder, terrorism, hate, uh, white, black, none of that appears one time. You will not hear any of those words. You will not hear murder. You will not hear terrorism. You will not hear hate. You will not hear hate crime. You will not hear white or black mentioned in the entire piece. That's journalism for you today, folks. There you go. Unbelievable. And of course, it only applied be one thing if they never mention race, you know, right. But that's not but how their game is played. It's 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 either it's either we give fulsome descriptions of the suspect and possible motives or we don't. But we don't do this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, on the subject of crime. I, I saw you remarking on this and this was heartbreaking to me, too. This Home Depot worker, 83 yeah. year old, years old, now dead. Gary Razor uh, from Hillsborough, North Carolina was pushed to the ground by a thief at a Home Depot. We have the video, I believe. Um, we can take a look at it. Yeah, it's just video here. He's trying to stop this thief. Oh, God. And this thief shoves this 83-year-old man to the ground. It's six weeks ago this happened, and he has now died. His, his death has been ruled a homicide, which is the correct conclusion. Um, he had worked at this Home Depot for nine years and had been in and out of the hospital after this happened. He was trying to stop, put an arm out to try to stop this man from rolling away a cart full of shoplifted, shoplifted pressure washers. The man, the thief, was clad in a Calvin Klein hoodie and a face mask and is still, as I understand it, not apprehended. More and more, what they're doing is not, they're not even challenging the thieves anymore. So kudos to this old man for literally risking his life. And it, the downside of that risk was realized. But in store after store, Buck, they're just letting the thieves take the stuff now. The Democrats have decided that theft is a social justice issue. This is just where we are, folks. Everyone yeah. needs to understand it, uh, that confronting and punishing shoplifters is anti-social justice, anti-woke. Um, and, and you can think of all the implications that they bring to that. Uh, I, I think the correct position on this and I think it is the conservative position on this, um, rightly applied, is that we are all subject to the same laws, irrespective of race, creed, color, socioeconomic status. We all believe that we are held to the same standard. 
Um, Democrats, I mean, you remember AOC famously said of people that were going in and stealing. This guy had was stealing almost $1,000 worth of stuff, pressure washers. He was going to go and sell them on Amazon or eBay or yeah. something right so away. Stealing obviously. a loaf of bread. Right. But, but AOC says, well, it's people stealing to feed themselves. That's a lie. When people break into Louis Vuitton stores and steal $100,000, $500,000 of stuff, they are organized thieves. And if they're not punished, it just continues. And our cities have been turned into free-for-alls with theft and stealing um, because people don't want to enforce the law, because they don't like the implications that that may bring to their social justice concepts. And the fact that this 83-year-old man was the only one with the backbone, the only one with the courage to stand up and then look at what happens to him, it's a really bleak indicator of where society is going right now. I wish we were ending on a, on a happier note, Megan. But I know it's so sad. His wife said she and her husband had plans to retire, travel and meet their new grandchild for the first time before his death. I, I have to raise it because this is the reminder. We do need to call the police. Stealing is a crime. You have to call 911. Perhaps it's good advice not to interfere yourself um, because you might get hurt. You might get killed. But we need police. We need them to be fully funded. We need clerks who are willing to call the cops and understand it's not racist just because the perpetrator might be black. Um, you might be saving the lives of black people within your store, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> crime is crime. It's dangerous. And left unchecked, it will spread and grow. Buck Sexton, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. Tomorrow, we've got Peter Schiff on to talk about the ongoing collapse of crypto and the SBF debacle, not to mention the state of our economy. Where are we on that? Plus, Adam Carolla is back, the one and only. So much to discuss with him. Don't miss that. In the meantime, download our show on whatever platform you get your podcasts at for free and go to youtube.com slash Megyn Kelly if you'd like to watch the show or any of our hottest clips. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll talk tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.